How about that cigar? How about them Vikings? (laughs) Cigar. Sorry. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Drew Estate Cigar Studios for episode 180 of How About That Cigar Live. Thank you so much for joining us, watching live on Facebook, live on YouTube. And for those of you listening after the fact on the audio podcast, thank you so much for listening to How About That Cigar Live. When you drive down the road, when you work out, whatever it is you do, when you listen to your favorite audio podcast, thank you so much for making How About That Cigar a part of it. And again, we are here in the beautiful Drew Estate cigar studios and drew estate joined by james hetfield of metallica and rob dietrich of blackened american whiskey just unveiled the all-new blackened cigars m81 by drew estate an exploration into the deepest duro leaf blackened cigars m81 by drew estate presents a journey through different maduro leaves starting with a thick and oily san andreas maduro wrapper followed by a thick and meaty connecticut river valley broadleaf Mm, maduro binder and finally a blend of nicaraguan and pennsylvania broadleaf maduro tobaccos blackened cigars m81 by drew estate will be presented in beautiful copper accented black 20 count boxes and debut in a 5 by 50 robusto a 6 by 52 tour 7 by 50 Corona Doble and a 5 by 43 Corona. For more information, please visit DrewEstate.com. So, as Garrett mentioned in the intro, the uh, the Minnesota Vikings, uh, and you guys know, you all know if you watch the show regularly, you know that Garrett is a huge Minnesota Vikings fan. I'm a huge Green Bay Packers fan. And that Vikings Bills game yesterday was one of the most entertaining football games I maybe have ever seen, at least in the last few years. As soon as my blood pressure medicine medicine kicked in, <laughs> it was enjoyable. Uh, that game was insane, and I so I left your house. Um, was it the night before last uh, on Saturday, Saturday night. night? And yeah. I was like, "Well, we're playing the Bills tomorrow, so that'll suck." And it was it was a back and forth man i mean so seeing two of the best at their position stefan diggs and justin, justin jefferson against each other i mean not against each other but right yeah. uh it was it was great to watch both of them had uh some crazy great catches justin jefferson had himself a day oh my god i mean what was it, 193 mm-hmm. 193 yards um and uh, Singletary had two touchdowns. Yep. And Kirk Cousins looks pretty good. I mean, he made you know a couple mistakes. He but... made two throws. He had no business <laughs> making. But so did so did Josh Allen. Yeah. Two throws that he had no business in. In the last one that obviously he threw ended end of the game. Yeah, it was. <laughs> it was. Oh. <laughs> Thank you, Coop. Thank you. Thank you, Coop. Matt LaFleur for Coach of the Year. I actually... So I want to say <laughs> as impressive as it was for the Vikings to beat the Bills, I will say it's more impressive that the Packers beat Dallas. I don't think... No, because you're the Vikings beat... The Vikings had to have a statement game this season. And the only way they were going to have that was to beat one of the other top teams in the NFL. And the Bills were that team. And and playing away at the Bills' home stadium 
that was for the Packers to beat the Dallas Cowboys at home in the current state of events. But the way, yes. So I understand that as poorly as the Packers have been playing for the last six weeks, it's been absolutely terrible. Um, And for them to, you know, beat Dallas at home, it was, it was a eked out win. It was barely, they barely made it, but they did make it a win is a win. But we, the Packers, have to improve on that and and just keep pu- pushing forward. The good thing is, in the final, uh, I think the because the Vikings have already had their bye, mm-hmm. and the Packers haven't yet. The Packers don't have their bye till week fourteen. Really? Yeah, we, super late bye for the Packers. So the Packers have seven games left, and I believe five of those are at home. I think. Wow. But the Vikings have a pretty We've other got than pretty other than good. Philadelphia and Philadelphia, the Giants, and we've already played Philadelphia. You did? That's our one loss. Oh right, yeah. So who else? Oh, we have the Green Bay has you Philadelphia. Have Philadelphia. Yeah, good, good luck. luck with that. Um, but but the Vikings have, from what I remember seeing, not a horrible, horribly difficult schedule for the rest of the way. No, I. Um, I think the NFC North is pretty locked up. Um, the playoff yeah. picture obviously will run through Philadelphia, which. Well, maybe. I mean, unless they just fall apart, it's. But signs aren't I don't pointing see that. The, no, Jalen Hurts is. He's playing well. Honestly, the whole team's playing. Star. The defense is playing really well, too. Um, and, and as far as the Minnesota Wild goes, um, they are getting better they're they're at 500 now mm-hmm. so they're a 500 team they've been improving yesterday notwithstanding uh but things are looking up i think it's early we just have to you know keep supporting them and you know seeing where the season goes yeah but uh yeah exciting exciting football yesterday all the way around so uh Nice to be a part of that and and just as fans, you know, and be able to watch. Yes. Uh, but, man, we have a very exciting show tonight, guys, and, and a great special guest who's returning uh, to How About That Cigar Live for the first time in a long time. It's uh, It's been a while. Uh, but he's, uh, you know, he's a very exciting guest and somebody that we can always learn a lot from. So let's bring on our special guest of the evening. And as always on How About That Cigar Live, special guests are brought to us by our friends at Corona Cigar Company. Corona Cigar Company and CoronaCigar.com, the Internet's largest and easiest to use virtual cigar store. Corona Cigar Company offers the finest handmade cigars, humidors, and cigar accessories at the absolute lowest possible price. You'll also find unique and limited cigars made with Florida sun-grown tobacco. As a proud American, president and founder of Corona Cigar Company, Jeff Borshowitz knew it was possible to bring cigar tobacco farming back to Florida. At Corona Cigar Company, you'll find the best selection anywhere in the world of cigars containing this special Florida sun-grown tobacco. If you live in Florida or are just visiting, be sure to visit any of the great Corona Cigar locations in downtown Orlando, Sand Lake, Tampa, Lake Mary, and a new location coming soon to Sarasota. To learn more, visit coronacigar.com and floridasungrown.com. All right, ladies and gentlemen, if you would please join us and put your hands together. Welcome to How About That Cigar Live from Two Guys Cigars and the Cigar Authority Podcast. Please welcome Mr. Dave Garofalo. Welcome back to the show. Thank you. Thank you. 
Uh, thanks, Matt and Garrett, and most importantly, uh, Justin behind the scenes for getting me on this thing. We had a whole 15 seconds left over. <laughs> we uh, did. Tr trying to get this old guy to make this work by myself. That's why I, I have a Justin. His name's Ed Sullivan, and he uh, tells, you know, okay, this is how you do it, and, and I'm on. So uh, good for you guys to have a, a, a real producer. <laughs> no, Justin. Justin is the uh, is the the glue um, that holds this podcast together. Yeah, uh, absolutely. I yep. get it. I get it. Um, so I I look back at the the first time we had you on the show. This is your second appearance on How About That Cigar Live. The first time. So this is episode right now. It's episode one hundred eighty, and the first time you were on the show was way back at episode fifty six, April of twenty twenty. Mm. So it, we were we were in the midst of lockdown torture mm -hmm. uh, in the world. So so give us a, give us a picture of how everything is uh, how everything's going now that it seems like the world is is back to uh, sanity and and regular operations again. Well, those were the worst of times, that's for sure. Uh, yeah. April twenty twenty, full panic mode. We had been shut down for probably 40 days at that point, not allowing people in the store and and doing this uh, curbside thing uh, that never really worked out well at all. Uh, and we were tanking. My God, it was bad. But um, about 60 days into it, the, the governor of New Hampshire said, okay, you can start going into stores, but you got to stay six feet away from each person. Everybody's got to wear a mask. All that shit happened. Uh, thank God, though, they let people in the store. And um, I can't believe what happened, which was not only did uh, business come back strong, but it came back so strong, we made up for being closed for two months. How is that even possible if that happened, which was the second cigar boom I've ever been into uh, as a retailer. I lived through the, through the 90s in a cigar boom then. And then there was this COVID cigar boom that was uh, altogether different, but uh, just as exciting that this came back. No way were we going to make our numbers for 2020. And not only we did, we succeeded it so much so. And 2021 was even better than that. So uh, wacky what happened since the last time <laughs> I have been on. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Well, uh, tonight we're going to talk a little bit about science on the show, Ooh. which seems a little strange for a cigar show. No. And trust me, I'll explain it. in just a second after I light up my cigar. All right. When lighting your cigar, it is important to be patient, pay close attention to detail, and focus on the tobacco. In the same way, Steve Saka brings those same qualities to the ultra-premium cigars of Dumbarton Tobacco and Trust. Patience, close attention, and focus on the tobacco are the qualities that Saka and Dunbarton Tobacco and Trust have become known for. From Sober Mesa to Umbagog, Dunbarton has a blend that will fit your palate, your mood, and any occasion. Visit DunbartonCigars.com to learn more. All right, Dave, uh, what are you smoking and or drinking this evening? Uh, I am smoking La Mezla Cubana. Um uh, a value cigar brand just happened to have it here. I have a few things uh, handy, but uh, that's what the one I went up to first. And uh, as boring as I am, uh, what is today? Today is uh, Monday. So Monday. Uh, I, I, I just have what, water. That is what we pregame. Hey, it is. Yeah, that, that was is. our pregame smoke. 
No kidding. Okay. I like it. I like it for a six dollar cigar, man. I, absolutely. Uh, oh yeah. It's, it's a, no, it was a, absolutely a decent cigar. What have you have fired up? Um, I have the United Maduro Robusto. Yeah. There we and go. I've got the Abuelo. Ah, grandfather. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, beautiful. Beautiful. Um, so, as I mentioned, tonight's show is about science. Uh, and one of the, t- one of the biggest, uh, you know, scientific topics, you know, that over the last... Oh, I'd say 150 years is is the uh, flat Earth is the th- flat Earth exactly. You nailed it. <laughs> it's the uh, it's this it's the study of the theory of evolution. Okay. Charles, Charles Darwin. You might yep. you might have heard of him, Chuck. Okay, yeah, I, I know Chuck. Chuck. Yes. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. You guys are on like the the nickname basis. I like this. Yeah. Um, and so one of the things about evolution is everything evolves. And one of the things that has evolved over the years is the world of premium cigars. Mm. And there's there are a lot of different facets, as as Dave, you know, being a retailer, being a podcaster, being somebody who's been very active in the uh, uh, cigar legislative community, uh, being somebody who has uh, has a stake in uh, cigar brands, you know, you know, a lot of different facets of the cigar industry and all of them have evolved over the years. Uh, even, even, you know, back before, uh, any of us were even acquainted with the premium cigar industry. Um, and the first evolution part, I, I want to focus on two, two of them tonight. One is the evolution of cigar media. And the other is the evolution of, of the brick and mortar cigar shop. Uh, over the years and even going back to the starting at the days before we even knew what cigars were back before we were even uh, even little kids. Uh, so when we're talking about the evolution of cigar media, you know, we so we know cigar media now as there's there's podcasts, there's there's web shows, there's websites, uh, reviewers, Instagram influencers, people on TikTok, people on YouTube and Facebook and Twitter and and all these different things now. But back long ago, I mean, even going back into the uh, the 19th century, cigar media was a lot different. It was, you know, print. You had uh, you had your print media. Well, I would go out on a limb and say there was nothing in the 19th century. There was a, uh, sorry, the 18th. Uh, sorry, the 20th. No, well, even 19th century. 1800s. Yeah. So, okay. Yep. So I did find some examples of some uh, some articles from some newspapers, oh. United States newspapers, that and they weren't ads for cigar brands. They were ads from local general stores, local okay. drug stores, okay. saying stop in for all your your daily needs. Mm-hmm. You can stop in and pick up your. Your medications. You stop in and pick up your foodstuffs and pick up your your cigars. We have we have your all the cigars you want. We have the pipe tobacco you want. Stop in, stop in and see us. So, um, Dave, do you remember those as a young child? <laughs> I do remember the the candy shops and candy shops uh, in in New York, especially uh, candy store sold tobacco, and yeah. you'd buy cigars in candy shops. Um, which is, isn't that the weirdest thing now to even consider right. that that would be a thing, <laughs> but that's where you would get your cigars that in drugstores. And, um, so you know, funny. when you, when you went to the tobacconist, 
uh, or smoke shop at that time. Um, the, it, you know, I'll tell you in, in 1985 that we didn't carry the brands that the drugstores carried. So someone came in looking for those brands. Uh, I would say, oh, those are the drugstore cigars. We have a finer selection here. So ours was hopefully better than theirs were. Uh, we certainly had something unique, which was a humidor, where the drugstores actually kept it right on the counter um, in yep. the aisles. Everything was right there. So that was that was part of the thing too. But um, you know, back you know eight, 1800 some general stores. I guess that's that's how it would be, right? A general store to have yeah. generally everything. Yeah, but even in the eighties, Dave, uh, were there different channels? So you had your drugstores, as you know, you mentioned that would they would get their cigars and your cigar shop. So in the eighties, as a tobacconist, was that industry considered the premium um, cigar industry? And the stuff in the in the uh, general stores and drugstores was that your typical machine made? Um, type cigars really ordering from two different places, two different demographics. Is that what we're well, looking at? Every, they weren't ordering from different places. We were all ordering from the same place and it wasn't from the manufacturer. You would buy from a, um, a wholesaler or a jobber, they would call it. And they would have multiple of these jobbers within every, in major cities and um you would buy from them it was you know you had to do some serious volume to build up enough uh credit to a manufacturer to deal with you direct it just really wasn't happening uh early on uh, i remember the you know calling the reps in calling the cigar companies in say i want to open direct with you in the 80s and they'd send somebody down and the guy would say you need to order 2500 of one thing uh, if that's what you want, 2,500 sticks. Yeah. So it's basically, you know, a hundred boxes of whatever size of whatever thing you were looking for. And wow, that was too much. That was too much. It was the, uh, that, then it, it, as sales went down and let me tell you, the eighties was the worst time in the cigar industry. That's when I got in, I didn't know it, but sales have been dropping every single year um from the um late 60s early 70s all the way down and i get in in 85 and even the cigar companies are saying hey kid you got in here way too late it's over and as luck would have it 1990 comes along and it, it spins upwards but the name of my cigar shop is two guys smoke shop and the reason why it's two guys smoke shop is there was no cigar shops everybody was a smoke shop or a tobacconist carrying everything. And when even going to the trade shows in those days, it wasn't just um, cigars that were at the, at the uh, uh, IPCPR uh, trade show or RTDA in that, that day, uh, Retail Tobacco Dealers Association. And we would go there and there would be walking canes and there'd be chess sets and there'd be lots of pipe tobacco. Uh, you had a better shot of finding a pipe store than a, a cigar store it was unheard of. Um, and it, it was the cigar boom that changed that in the 90s when cigars got popular and new cigar companies came in, they offered a decent uh, margin for the retailer to be able to survive on selling cigars. Before that, it was just the margins were so low that you would have to just uh, sell other things. Somebody would come in for a box of cigars and you hope 
they bought something else uh, so yeah. that you can make a profit. So that turned yeah. around in the 90s. But the 80s, uh, uh, it certainly wasn't easy. And uh, I do remember the drugstore chains having things on the shelf, premium cigars on the shelf also. Um, and I would try to stay away from the sizes that they stayed, but they would sell, you know, you could buy a whole box of Macanudo on the shelf at Walgreens or whatever the <laughs> drugstore chain was, Rexall and all the different things in those days. And, um, you know, I would say to my customer that, you know, taste mine, it's fresher, it's, um, you know, humidified, it's kept in a perfect climate controlled environment. And we would, you know, say all those things to get somebody to uh, change up. As far as a box of Phillies or Garcia Vega, have a mm -hmm. tamper and the different domestic cigars, and we carry those too. Um, we'd have them in little five packs or whole boxes of 50. And it was the same stuff that was in the drugstore chain. And, um, you know, it was hard to compete against them. You were, we're making very, very little profit anyway on it. So, again, I hope you came in and bought a cup of coffee or a magazine or a newspaper, those things that uh, made a paper that they used to have in the stores. Yeah. <laughs> it seems like, to me, it seems like yesterday, but it, it was a long time ago. Yeah. Well, and and going side by side with the evolution, I mean, going back to the late 1800s into the early 1900s, you know, as far as cigar media goes, there, there were just, you know, ads for uh, local local shops. And as far as retailers go, the, back then, because cigars and pipe tobacco were available at most five and dimes, drugstores, you know, general stores, you know, in, in, in your towns. And there were also a little in most towns back then, uh, there were there were small cigar factories that you know they'd get tobacco yeah. and they'd roll a bunch of little cigars and sell them to you know their local five and dimes and saloons and things like that and then as you get into the uh sort of the mid 20th century into the you know let's say we get into the 1950s and 60s then you start to see more and more tobacco regulations across the country you start to see uh, first thing to go as far as media goes was uh, tobacco advertisements started to go go away. They they weren't able to advertise cigarettes at one point. I do remember um, when I was young, there were still television ads for smokeless tobacco and for cigars. So there there were still Dutch Masters commercials. And the the commercials for uh, the commercials didn't call them Garcia Vega; they called them Garcia Vega on the TV commercial. Yeah. And um, but then those went away. I want to say somewhere around eighty one or eighty two. Well, I remember I had a subscription to Hot Rod magazine. <laughs> That's the car magazine. The car magazine. Okay, I'm just yeah. making sure. Yes. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> different different thing now. Um, but in that Hot Rod magazine. Every every issue, guess what was in the in the center? The cigar ad? No. I don't know. It was pouches of skull bandits. Wow. Uh, like inside actual, actual tobacco, tobacco product, product in the magazine. In the magazine. Wow, that's wow. Never. I can't recall when that stopped, but I remember when that magazine would come before I could get it, my mom would always rip rip out that 
that pouch that had, I think it had two or three, whatever of the little skull bandits wow. in there. Never would that happen today. Ever. Oh my gosh. Wow. Can you imagine? <laughs> People would be in jail. <laughs> today. You got my son addicted to crack. Well, right. so, so Dave, uh, a few, a couple months ago, we had George Brightman on the show and, you know, he was involved with Cigar Aficionado early on. And we asked, one of the things we asked him was, what was there for cigar media? Cause this was obviously before the days of the internet. So, uh, we asked him before Cigar Aficionado came along, what was there for magazines? And he said, there's really, there were really just a couple trade publications from the RTDA and, one guy who was also in the porn business tried to do a cigar magazine and only made it like three or four issues in and it failed. Uh, and, and that was, that was pretty much it. So uh, what do you, do you remember anything from, from before cigar aficionado as far as um, aside from when they started taking, you know, commercials off the, off TV and radio, do you remember anything print wise or, or anything else from, from like eighties or seventies? Yeah, they, they were tobacconist magazine, trade publication uh, that existed, and we would get that, I believe, every month, tobacconist magazine. Then its competitor that came out, it was Smoke Shop magazine, and then there was competition, and it would be industry stuff, but also advertising a brand that you maybe didn't hear about. And um, the tobacconist magazine, the RTDA, got behind that, and um, later Smoke Shop magazine uh when cigar aficionado came out created a publication for the consumers called smoke magazine that was the second publication to come out and they might have come out a year or so after uh cigar aficionado did and uh and i i do remember that uh magazine if that's what you want to call it of um can't remember the guy's name um that was the porn guy but it was uh, a newspaper it wasn't al goldstein who was it Al, Al Goldstein. Goldstein. Yeah. yeah, it was like a newsletter, yeah. a quarterly newsletter or something. It, it, it was a newspaper. It was a newspaper. Yeah. So was his porn magazine was made of newspaper. And that's what he did for that, too. And um, yeah, I don't know if there was going to be any hope for that when it came out. I, I saw it. We didn't carry it or anything like that. But be, it, being in the, in the business, I looked at it and it was newspaper print. And I'm like, uh, you know, it, it actually and, and the person owning it and everything did not shed a great light onto cigars. It wasn't until Cigar Aficionado came out and it was, oh my God, what a difference that was, that it was high gloss. It looked really high end and sophisticated, more sophisticated than the cigar industry. I'm like, oh my God, does this look as good? I'm gonna have to wear a tie to work. What the hell's going on here? <laughs> uh, and and literally changed everything. I mean, there's no doubt about it. And George Brightman is the perfect guy um, I mean, w without George Brightman, I don't know how it would have came out because he was uh, a retailer himself. He, he was deep into the cigar industry and they got some good advice from George Brightman when that came out. So uh, it came out right. You know, um, people that work for magazines, they, uh, they go to school for literature and, and for writing and not yeah. necessarily that they know the subject uh as as well as somebody else but boy they can make it sound sound really good i remember that issue one came out and it was at the trade show we were at um and they gave it to all of us at the trade show and it was a big big deal uh there was a big breakfast and uh you know, oh my god this thing you know I, I didn't i'm walking down the aisles 
of the trade show, flicking through the, the magazine. I just not, can't believe what I'm looking at, that this is, uh, is this going to change our industry? And you just knew it was then. Yeah. And um, when people started coming in the store after that, they would have the magazine in their hand or they would have a list or they would start asking questions and mentioning flavor notes. None of this stuff happened before, never. Uh, a customer came in and said what they wanted, and that was it. And everything changed at that point. The demographics changed. I mean, it was it was crazy. Was there a little bit happening before that happened? Yes, there was, because why would they want to put a publication out? Probably about two years before that, 1990, uh, we started seeing changes um, about people talking about cigars in TV shows and in movies. And you'd have Arnold Schwarzenegger, Sylvester Stallone. On TV, it was Jerry Seinfeld, the A-Team. All these people showing mm -hmm. cigars. And here I am in the cigar business watching these things and looking to see what kind of cigar are they smoking. And all of a sudden, younger people started coming in and seeing this and saying, I'd like to try a cigar. How do you do it? That, again, that never happened. That People used to come in the store and say, how do you do it? Uh, and then, you know, asking advice. And the tobacconist at that point became the expert. And it was nonstop, the same question over and over and over of how to, how to cut light smoke. Do I inhale? How do I do this? I used to be a cigarette smoker. What do I do? Um, game changing thing that ended up happening there. The early 60s, there was a boom in the, in the cigar industry you brought up that they were um uh surgeon general saying that cigarettes are no good for you and all this is happening and and early 70s comes uh no advertising for cigarette products so cigars got popular actually um things like winchester little cigars really big at that time um and a lot of companies uh bringing out little cigars instead of cigarettes major growth and then that starts tanking down and it goes down really hard uh, through the 80s. And then all of a sudden, I, I believe it was a, a big part of it was uh, when you talk about media, it was the media, it was TV shows and um, movies. Yeah. Um, and some of which, by the way, was pay to play that a, um, a cigar brand would actually give the product to the TV studio or to the movie studio for consideration of using the product on there. Oh. Uh, it wasn't very deliberate. In other words, showing the brand or anything, you know, close up or anything like that. But um, you could see what it was. Uh, if you were deep into the cigar industry, yeah. you'd see what they're smoking and say, oh my God, that's it. I don't know. I, I still do that to this day. If I see somebody on TV, smoking and you know freeze frame yeah. it or whatever and look to see what it is uh that would you know in, in those days there was there wasn't a click of a freeze frame or anything but just yeah. looking at that and say i think that was a tiamo the guy was smoking no i think it was a potagus and you know even coming to work in the store uh somebody would come in and say hey do you watch such and such last night uh johnny carson his guest came on with a cigar what was he smoking you know these things would would happen and it, it snowballed even yeah. women getting into it. Madonna was smoking cigars and, you know, it was, you know, all kinds of different movie stars, uh, male and female were getting into it. And boom, there's the beginning of the boom. And um, 
I wish it lasted longer, but everybody talks <laughs> about this boom. It was it was uh, maybe about seven years long. Yeah. And uh, but as bad as it was when it stopped, it was still way above where it started. You know, oh, it was absolutely. really down in the pits. We were at a, we were at about maybe a hundred million, hundred and eighty million uh, cigars. It it goes into five five hundred million, six hundred million cigars, and then drops to three hundred fifty million. Oh my God, it fell apart. Oh, it was one fifty. You know, I'm I'm happy with three fifty. Is was sensational, and yeah. I, I think we're seeing the same thing actually right now. Uh, I think the the um, COVID boom is over, mm-hmm. and I think it's going to settle down, but it's going to settle down above. What it did before, uh, if history proves itself correct the way uh, it did last time. Yeah. And then if we go back to around the same time that Cigar Aficionado launched in, in 1992, there were also, although they not all of them were really official or shows on the radio that were just about cigars, but... One of them was that I can recall, although I don't think it goes back this far. But so you go back to 1992 and we're talking radio. There were some radio personalities that at least talked a fairly regular amount about their cigar consumption. WKRP in Cincinnati? Uh, no. <laughs> well, although that was one of yeah, my Yeah, I don't remember people. that. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, but uh, Rush Limbaugh was one that I can think of that oh, talked yeah. a lot about his cigar smoking. Yeah. Uh, I don't know when the Cigar Dave show started. I don't think it was 30 years ago, but it was it was it was a while ago. And and so and Close. He, you know he was kind of half and half politics and cigars. Uh, and and there were yeah. others. I mean, a local guy, Joe Souchere, mm-hmm. uh, was a big cigar guy here in the Minneapolis St. Paul radio market. Um, and and so the the radio got into the game a little bit even back in the 90s and and early 2000s. Yeah, there was, uh, so you had Cigar Dave, I think, uh, uh, early on, based out of New York, then he went down to Tampa, Florida, and he was there in the, I'd say, early 90s, maybe by 94 or something, he was off and running. You had another guy, Rick something, out of California that was doing his thing. But remember, radio wasn't national. It was, it was these pockets that they mm-hmm. had advertising. And what uh, Cigar Dave did is he started not only broadcasting out of Tampa when he was there, but he would buy advertising time in different other pockets also. So he, he got himself, uh, he created himself this uh, this little broadcast uh, thing going on where he was syndicated. Oh, um, syndication, because he, yeah. Yeah, he, he created it himself. So uh, he was a real um, broadcaster anyway. He was a real um, radio guy, as most of them were, like you said. Uh, he didn't get into it because of uh, the cigar industry, but he saw said, okay, here's a little pocket of people that might be interested. And um, uh, his thing wa- was and still is, I think he's on podcasting now, but he, as far as I'm concerned, he was the godfather out there to actually pull it off and make it happen and um, kept it going for years and years and years. So uh, it, and it, it's all good for the cigar industry, no doubt about it. Yeah. When you kind of touched on it a little bit. Um, earlier when you had said, you know, in the eighties people, for the most part, you didn't have a whole lot of new people coming in looking to, to get into cigars. And that kind of takes me back to my first 
cigar, if you will, was a Antonio Cleopatra. It's because what my dad smoked and we would smoke them hunting yeah. and fishing and, and I would go to my pharmacy and buy, you know, the Antonio, the yellow the, box, the, the yellow box yeah. of grenadiers. That's right. Yeah. And so grenadiers. <laughs> uh, Dave, can you take us through the, the strategy from a tobacconist in those early days of the eighties to, you know, is there a, a correlation between when media becomes present in the cigar industry and changing how that consumer then approached either getting into the hobby or approached cigars in general? And then what the well, effect of the the effect of the uh, tobacconist was? Well, it certainly was the internet, and uh, that dramatically changed stuff because now we're talking to. Um, people that are really into this thing all over the nation. And um, I was introduced to a cigar group uh, called Alt.Smokers.Cigars, uh, ASC. And this was in the, I would say, maybe 94. And um, I met a man named Steve Saka uh, on there. I met an another guy called Ed Sullivan. He's now our producer mm -hmm. on the Cigar Authority, mm -hmm. uh, Cigar Craig. He was another one that's still out there today uh, doing a blog, myself, and a bunch of other people. I can't, I can't remember any names that are still relevant today, uh, but those four people for sure. And it was a, it was a uh, you'd, you'd write it out, and um, everybody would be asking questions of each other, and um, we didn't know who these people are, and it, it was... Um, you know, some people use their real name. Some people just use the handle, like a, a CD radio type of thing at that time. Uh, I said who I was, and I hoped I would uh, possibly gain customers from it. Uh, I did. Uh, Ed Sullivan became my customer. Steve Stocker became my customer um, in 94. And um, I would let them know when, um, you know, something rare came in. At that time, the Gloria Cubana was a hard-to-get cigar. Uh, I, I luckily had carried it early, early on uh, before uh, Cigar Aficionado came out and gave it a big rating for a $1.85 cigar. $1.85, by the way. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> and um, I remember uh, you know, writing on there and saying, just so you know, I got a bunch of these in. If anybody wants them, here's my phone number. This was the beginning of uh, online sales. Here's my phone number. Well, the first thing that happened is they tore me apart because here I was uh, advertising myself on there. And I'll give Steve, Steve Saka credit. Steve Saka said, hey, he can sell every one of these he wants. He's giving us an opportunity to. He's, not, he's here promoting something that the next guy that walks in the store will buy. So don't beat him up for me. He, he just thinks he's trying to do something nice, uh, which I was doing something nice. And, um, but they, they were bashing me all day long, all day long on there. And I was like, oh, I can't even go on this anymore. And at the end of the day, the phone rings and it's Steve Saka. And I said, oh my God. I said, I'm getting destroyed on there. And he goes, let me ask you a question. I said, yeah. He said, did you sell them all? And I said, yeah. He goes, all right, good. See you later. And that was it. <laughs> True story. True story. Oh, I love but then it. what they, that's called that's, that's called spam. I might have been the original first spam <laughs> guy. I didn't know it. I didn't know I was doing something wrong. Um, <laughs> but 
that group was awesome. And I'll tell you, I remember going home and I just couldn't wait to get on the computer again. We didn't have phones with computers on them. You go on your, on a big computer and go on there and see what everybody's asking and talking about. And they'd mention a cigar brand I never heard of and I'd write it down. And I'd be learning from the consumer all across the country and sometimes all across the world of, of these people where they were. That was the first thing I saw. And from there, it evolves into a, a chat group, which was the Cigar Family chat group yep. that um, Drew, Drew Newman put this together. He was eight years old and he told his father and mother that they need to do this. Drew Newman, who's the who's the in charge of of JC Newman today, uh, he was eight years old, and he put this thing together, and made it work. And now it was people from everywhere. And again, this was a this was controlled by the Newman family, for them and Fuente. But they had the smart idea to allow anybody to talk about anything they wanted. So it wasn't just talking about their brand. So it didn't look like a commercial product. That was there just for that. There was a lot of it, of course, but you could talk about any brand you want, talk about whatever. So they, they opened up different rooms and all this where you'd start chatting. I don't know if this is even still available anymore, but it was um, Cigar Family that went that uh, happened. Um, and this is before there was vocal. Before you could speak about it, this is people talking about it. And that stems the beginning of blogs. Yeah. And then people would have this blog that would be out there and you'd go on to the on to, for instance, a cigar smoker dot com. Uh, that was Barry sign. He was one of the first ones. Barry does the cigar authority with us also. Yeah. And um, he would write reviews and talk about um, news that was happening in the cigar industry. And I didn't know him, who he was or anything, but I'd go on there and again, as a retailer, let me see what I can learn. And he's talking about a brand I never heard of. And then I jot that down. Okay, how do I not know about this? I think this was the beginning. The blogger was the beginning of the really boutique brands at that point because that's what they were talking about. People that they, they maybe could not go see Fuente uh, or somebody like that, but they certainly could see a smaller brand. Uh, in those days, Tony Bahani from Bahia or oh, early yeah. Rocky Patel. Uh, you know, uh, folks like that, that, um, you know, would, would engage with them as a consumer and they could, you know, get some information out of them. So that was the, that was the next step, uh, before any, uh, verbal thing was coming out with, uh, such, such like podcasting. Um, it was, uh, reading these things. I just, uh, attached to the podcasting pod because, uh, I thought it was easier and in, in pretty one way as opposed to, um, you know, having to put something down and wait for somebody. Sometimes your answer takes three days to get to before somebody gets to that thing. And, um, you know, um, but it's all good. It, it's all yeah. good. The first podcast I, I, I heard of was um, uh, Stogie Fresh Five. Uh, oh, David yes. Diaz. Yep. Diaz. Diaz um, yeah. And that went on for years. Yeah, that went on for years and years. And I had the pleasure to meet meet him at a trade show before I went there, um, uh, before he stopped doing it. And um, there's, there's passion, just like the blogger, passion from consumers and passion from consumers on the on the blogging and doing the um, on the chat boxes. Also, uh, there actually wasn't a lot of me, somebody that was in the cigar industry. Um, 
tagging along. You know, I, I lurked in the background a lot of times and wanted to go in there to learn. But when I saw something somebody asked and I had the answer to, I would say it. Uh, or when I was trying to sell the Gloria Cubanas, I said it. But then I learned, I started getting scared of it, to be honest with you. As they would say, that there'd be rules all of a sudden that you can't do this and you can't do that because of people like me. Um, this guy's going to go in and try to, to sell. And really, I was there because I wanted to learn. And, you know, it seems odd, learn from the consumer, but that's what I've been doing my whole life is learn from the consumer. My job is easy. I try to give the consumer what they want and getting to, to um, sneak in and listen to them talk with each other gives you the answers that you're looking for, right? So that was that. Oh, was yeah. It. Well, and now going into kind of the true modern era, say that that is goes from current day back probably about at least 10 uh probably more like 13 or 15 years is uh youtube and yeah you know there's the you know the early days of of cigars on youtube you know things like cigar obsession and stogie geeks and uh cigar dojo is just getting into their 10th anniversary and you you guys got cigar authority on youtube um pretty relatively early on um from what i recall 2010 yeah um, so 12 years ago and yeah so i i thought um where we were doing a podcast why not uh use everything we could possibly do to it um part of it was you know who the hell wants to see this that here's a guy <laughs> sitting here talking about cigars and you can see what I look like. Um, is is this going to hurt uh, the cigar brand of, you know, it's not, a, I'm not a cool kid and I'm not fancy dresser. I'm not whatever. But listen, if, if, if I pick up uh, a listener here and, but the, the, the whole idea of that show was for it to be audio and uh, like radio, like Cigar Dave, let this be a radio show. But YouTube is sitting there. How can I not put it on there also? Uh, so I do. Uh, Facebook, I do. Um, but still to this day, 12 years into the Cigar Authority, it's still an audio podcast by far. 90, 95%. Ed Sullivan would know the numbers right off the top of his head. But it's in the 90 percentile of listeners instead of watchers. Um, yeah. you're, you're doing this while you're doing something else. Um, we may be different than you because you have a show that's on at nighttime when it's downtime, downtime for people. Mine is a Saturday afternoon at 12 noon show. And this is when people got their honey to do lists and, and there's other things to do and it's a beautiful day. And, you know, you can stay here and end up watching a computer for two hours, which is insane. Also mistake on my part. Uh, I didn't know how long a podcast should be back in those days. And, um, I locked in the two hours and, and here we are still after all this time. Uh, but it is, um, it's an audio podcast to accomplish a couple of things. I'm trying to educate, but I was a bad student myself in school and partly is because I didn't like school. I wasn't good at it. And I didn't have very many good teachers that could do it um, the, the way I think it should be done 
which is it should be education, but at the same time, it has to be informative and entertaining at the same time to keep, especially a young person engaged as a, as a child, that a, a really good teacher, and I remember a couple of them that I had was good, you'd have fun going to their class, and guess what would happen? You would learn something while you were at it. So the Cigar Authority's plan right from the go was to do that. Let's have some fun with them. I think your show was the same way. You guys goof off and have fun with each other and talk ball and different things. And we're going to sneak some education in there for you at the same time. And I think it's a perfect mix uh, in the people that are doing that. Imagine the Cigar Authority, two straight hours about just education of cigars. I I don't think it would catch on. And um, I think, you know, with when we talked about Cigar Dave, and not to say anything negative, but especially nowadays with this, with the, um, you know, politics, 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 politics. And then you get to a point where I don't want to hear politics anymore. And I stopped talking, stopped listening to Cigar Dave, not because of his cigar talk, but I didn't want to hear politics. And not to say I'm, I'm against the way he thinks at all, but I, it's on my off time, that's not what I want to do. Politics is part of my life. I'm in the cigar business. We're all in, into politics that yeah. has it. But to be to uh, have some downtime and say, okay, let me get all frustrated and worked up again. Um, <laughs> we, we, you know, it, it it seems negative to it. That's all, and, and yeah. we we try not to do it. Sometimes we get stuck in something bad is happening in the cigar sure. industry, the FDA or something, and we do it. But we can tell our listeners drop off and they don't care. Uh, we yeah. gotta try to squeeze it in when they don't know it, you know. Yeah. Well, and the, yeah, we're in the same boat as far as we we do talk, you know, little politics here and there, but we try to stick to uh, CRA and PCA related legislative stuff. Uh, but but always wrap it j- just like you guys do. Uh, wrap it with a little bit of entertainment, a little bit of fun. Um, but yeah. then in the last in the last couple of years, especially, I mean, it was happening a little bit before uh, the COVID lockdowns and things like that. But especially in the last two and a half, three years, we've seen a huge surge in live streaming, in virtual herfs, uh, Instagram, and now that t- this TikTok thing has become absolutely uh, this massive juggernaut. Um, and especially, I mean, the biggest one that I've seen is you've seen people who are cigar brand owners who are actually putting out their own, maybe weekly, maybe monthly, uh, uh, live stream where they'll, they'll jump on Instagram maybe, or they'll, maybe they'll jump on YouTube or Facebook and just talk about their brands talk to their fans, talk to their, their customers, things like that. That's been huge in the last couple of years. And I'll be honest, well, I didn't really see it going back even five or six years. I didn't really see that it was going to become as big as it has. COVID did it. And yeah. they all came out. Every single company came out with it, but a lot of them went away after right. it was time to go back to work. Uh, and, and having a conversation with a few of them, uh, after after the fact is uh, they realize it's a lot of work and those that are listening um, how about that cigar isn't winging it just so so you know <laughs> these guys have to do a lot of work to prep for a show it, it is a lot of work that's happening in front of the screen as it's going live but also 
be behind the scenes of having a topic each week and have to be able to ask the next question and to know who your guest is. And I, I've been doing it, as I say now, 12 years now and getting ready. Um, it makes you um, more intelligent about the subject because in order for you to do the show, you have to study me in this case, or Rick Rodriguez last week, or whoever it ends up being each time you do it, learn about their subject so you're intelligent about it. It's a lot of work. And after they have kind of blown their load, basically, of talking about their brands and themselves, what do you do after year one, year two, year 10, year 12 (laughs) of continuing to to come up with material? Uh, You guys are five years in now, six years in? Uh, We're not even four yet. Three, three and a half. All right. It, it's not easier after three and a half. It's easier maybe for you to uh, talk and you're not as maybe nervous as you were before, but mm-hmm. to come up with the next subject matter, the next guest, try not to be as repetitive in all this. This is a lot of work, and these manufacturers realize that, and yeah. I don't think they stay for a long period of time because unless they're going to start talking about other people's brands and you see uh, Carlito Fuente that does the um, uh, Ask the oh, Professor. Yeah, yeah. So they so they, they were smart to do that because that, that show would have lasted four episodes. And after they talked about Fuente till they can't talk about Fuente anymore, but they bring people on from other, other manufacturers and it makes it interesting that they end up doing that. But yeah. there's a lot of ego here in the industry. I don't see a lot of these <laughs> manufacturers, and they're my friends out there, inviting their competitors into their, into their place to promote yeah. their product. Uh, I don't see a lot of that happening, uh, I don't think, but it certainly worked out for them. Yeah. Well, and also the the, the social media group, especially Facebook. So pre-COVID, I was maybe in three or four. Oh, cigar the, the groups, yeah. <laughs> cigar groups. COVID was a monster for all of these cigar groups. I mean, there was a period of time where I was being invited to five to 10 new cigar groups a day. Yeah, it was insane. It has gotten ridiculous. Now, most of them have gone by the wayside, thank the Lord, but... Uh, um, well, it's just too much to keep up with. It's like... Oh, absolutely. You can, only have, you can only have so many people in your life that you have a, a genuine uh, engagement with that you, that you talk to on a regular basis that you engage with on a regular basis. And the same is true with social media, with your virtual life. There's only so many groups that you can interact with on a regular basis and actually contribute something that people would either be encouraged by or be informed by, or get a laugh from, uh, there's just, if you, if you were to, to, accept an invite from every group you were invited to on Facebook and try to post on the each, each of those groups once a day, that would be a full-time job. Right. It's just right. too much. When, when I, when I got into it, into podcasting, I did that because my daughter said you should be uh, in social media. You got to do on the social media thing. So she set up some social media for me and I posted something and then she says to me the next day, people are responding to you. You have to go on there and read it, and then you have to answer them. And I said, well, yeah. answer it for me. And she said, I can't answer these questions. You have to go look at it. So I end up doing it, and then I say something, and then 
they respond to it and it, <laughs> it isn't going to end. The conversation right. isn't going to end. Exactly. And I already posted something else and I said, oh my God, I have to go to work. I can't do this. There's no way I can possibly do this. And the only way was podcasting. I said, okay, I'm going to say what I'm going to say. And people are chatting along. I can't follow the chat box uh, while I'm, I can't think and read at the same time. I'm, I'm horrible. I know I am, uh, but I have people for that now. So, I, you know, you got, you got Barry reading the stuff and he's, he's half as bad as me anyway, but reading it to see what somebody's saying on the chat box while somebody's producing it. And I'm saying what I'm supposed to say, but, to do that and, and smoke a cigar at the same time, I, I know what I'm capable of. I'm, I'm not capable of it, so I, I have to refrain from that. But um, I can't answer everybody's questions on all these platforms. If I just went to one, of course, I could do it. And I, I'll carve out a half hour in the daytime and a half hour at night and get myself caught up. But there's Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, um, and yeah. then there's every – uh, group like you say that's on here along with I do the Cigar Authority I do the Ash Holes on Tuesday I do other people's podcasts we do the after show I have three cigar shops to run an online business along with a whole <laughs> bunch of other stuff and a family at the same time and somebody's asking me is the is the plume on their cigar mold <laughs> or plume or whatever and <laughs> <laughs> Garrett's, Garrett's laughing because that's my that's my most hated question. I hate that question. Yeah. I hate that question. And you know I've answered all of them before a bunch of times. <laughs> so it, it, what are you going to do? Uh, yeah, so yeah. Um, it, I, I'm not I'm not the best when it comes to I, I I applaud the people that that really give it their all. And you've got some guys out there that are amazing on social media. Mm -hmm. um, it, it just can't be me. Uh, I, I work too much. Uh, also, when somebody's a great golfer, for instance, I say you don't work very hard because it takes a lot of practice to be a good golfer. And there's no friggin' way you're a hard worker if you're really good at golf. There's no way it's happening. If you're really good at social media, you ain't working because it does. It takes so much time. Uh, there's no way you can concentrate on your regular business. So. Uh, you know, what do you do? You, you hire a social media person, if that's the case. And people have come to me, I want to be a social media person. You're, gonna, you're not going to answer the right way I would want it to be answered. So I'd rather not be answered wrong. I trust my daughter to do it, but she said, I can't answer these questions for you. Well, you know, I'm not going to just hire somebody and say, make everybody happy and, and you know, say something nice or whatever. They, they're most yeah. likely asking a question. Um, and, uh, you know, somebody comes into the cigar shop and they ask the question, absolutely, we're on top of it or whatever it is. And if I happen to see it, but I can't go on to um, Facebook all day and see if somebody's asking me a question. I, I can't do it. And those that can, please tell me uh, how to manage my time better to be able to pull that off. I don't know. Yeah, I'm. There's just too much. There's too much to keep track of on social media, and and I I love that there are there are cigar brands out there who are making the most of social media in a good way. Mm -hmm. They're they're engaging with their customers. They're promoting their products uh, without being uh, without being over the top. You know, they're gracious about it. They're 
they're informative, they're, uh, they're kind. And, you know, Michael Herklotz just commented and, and, you know, you know, big shout out to Michael. He's one of our good friends and he's one of those people who is, he, he's, he engages a lot on social media, but he does so to inform and to, uh, it, he's a positive influence when it comes to, you know, social media with, with regards to the cigar business. Terrence Riley. Terrence oh. Riley is another one. Yeah. Yeah. Michael's a smart, smart guy. Uh, as a matter of fact, um, when it comes to um, engaging with the people at T TAA, which is a little organization for, um, say, 100 cigar retailers that are, that are in this group, uh, I used to do a thing called a dream machine. and I'd be on stage and engaging with the other retailers that are down there to try to get them to purchase more cigars. Um, for this dream machine deal thing that went on and ask questions and try to make it entertaining at the same time. And um, I did a six year stint with TAA and my time was up and uh, I had to step down and they had to get somebody to take my spot of one of the duties, which was that. And uh, I was scared. I was scared because um, they have to get somebody that, that, um, can rally the troops to accomplish this goal for everybody that does it. And when I went the next year, I look on stage and it was Michael Herklotz and I, I took a breath of, of relief that mm. it was him that was up there. And I go, Oh my God, because he's better than me. And I can, I can say the way it is because it is, he's better than me. And he got up there and the way that works is it's a mass buy where everybody buys and a discount goes uh, to everybody if they reach these milestone things that happen. Um, and here he was up there and I'm like, oh my God, we're in good hands. And uh, at, at that time, I guess Michael was a retailer um, uh, through, through Nat Sherman, I guess, is, mm -hmm. is how that ended up happening. And um, now um, he's a manufacturer and I'll tell you, um, I was happy to see he's part of TAA uh, also. So uh, there's somebody engaging to um, an audience of retailers. And if he can do it to retailers, he certainly can do it to consumers. Um, and he does. And, um, yeah. you know, so hats off to him. Um, another um, one that's interesting to me is McAuliffe. McAuliffe, yeah. who does it, um, he was a relatively new company. Uh, and somebody new to the cigar industry, but um, uh, apparently his daughter um, put that together himself and um, decided to, okay, let's engage the consumer. And it's not, again, like I said, where it's going to be um, just my brand. That's all we're going to talk about. And you're going to get nothing else. And it's going to be, you know, af after six episodes of that, okay, what are we going to talk about now? Uh, they bring in everybody to it. And uh, I, I'm a strong believer in that, that rising tides raise all ships. Yes. If you can make the cigar industry better, if you can concentrate on the cigar industry and move it up a notch, automatically everybody else is going to move up that notch too. Uh, and, and, you you know, maybe you don't get a pat in the back for doing it, but you're going to have growth because of it. And if, if everybody could just do that and say, let's try to improve the, the uh, pe people's thoughts on cigar smokers, or something like that, it would turn over because certainly the opposition does the opposite. 
they tell everybody how bad cigar smoking is and they all get together and they have very strong believers in this and they and they push the other direction um it seems like um we as an industry has been too lazy on this and said you know we, we're just worrying about our own business as opposed to all of our businesses and we, we certainly have to have to make that change uh i think quickly uh because we're start we're losing ground here again uh we, we got a little little um during COVID, we got we didn't get much pushback on it the attention was somewhere else and now that that has gone away all eyes are on the cigar industry or the tobacco industry again um yeah. and we're starting to see it so uh we, we have to be careful and we have to uh rally the troops and everybody get behind each other yeah absolutely mm-hmm. well we we covered a little bit of the retail part of it i want to save that for the next time we have you on how about that cigar live because i think it's time mm. I, I i mean at least i think it's time i but i have to ask you garrett do you is it time i think it's time are you sure it's time it is now time for this week's Numero de los Muertos. And as always, Numero de los Muertos is brought to us by our friends at Smoke In. Right, Numero de los Muertos, episode 180. Garrett, what do you have for us this week? I've got another story one. So again, uh, those who are using the Google, I implore you to not be spoilers. Yeah, no, don't, don't, don't <clears throat> cheat and use Google. This We're using our brains here instead of the Google box. By, right. the, by the way, I can't believe how you guys get these... Uh, the other day, after two or three questions, you said uh, guy jumped out of a, the Eiffel Tower with a parachute <laughs> and died. After like three questions, I'm like, what the hell? How? I was nowhere. And, and so, well, how, how, how did that even happen? After, after 180 episodes, you learn what questions to ask to get to the answer faster. It's true. Wow. Okay. It's true. All right. The year is 1771. Okay. And this man in Sweden died from doing this. One guy. One guy. In 1771. Yep. In Sweden. Correct. Died doing this. Yep. Okay. This one, we definitely have to keep you guys honest and keep you off of Google. Just let's just ask our. And if you guys have, if you guys have. You know, we're going to play 20 questions. So Dave, me, viewers, we're going to play 20 questions. So ask yes or no questions to try to get to the, the truth of this thing here. So I'll start out with, was it a workplace accident? No. Was he the only one that died of this? Yes. Ever? No, I'm sure other people have, have done this. 
it would be rare. Is is this a an activity that is is we have all done it. Okay, so it's not a, it's not an activity that's that's uh, relegated just to Sweden. Correct. It's not a Swedish no. centric activity. Nope. So it's not like uh, I don't. What do Swedish people do? Make meatballs, right? And furniture. Oh, does it have to do with food? That's a great, great question. Mm-hmm. It does. It does. Ha- okay, so we're on the right track. We're on the right track. Um, <laughs> over overdose of hot chocolate. That's a great guess. That is really good. No. Um. Does it have anything to do with meatballs? Mm, not really. No. <laughs> no. Not drinking too much water. Not eating cho- chocolate. So that would be the the Swedish thing, I guess. Well, that's what's I don't so know. That's Swiss. Yeah, Swiss Switzerland. Yeah. Belgium. Yeah. Uh, not eating fermented fish. <laughs> oh, oh, yuck! That is a thing. That is a thing. That would, fisk. That would kill me. I know it would kill me if I tried it. N- not was eating he poisoned? Chocolate. He was oh, not poisoned. Poisoned. Not poison. Mm, not choked on a bone of a sardine. Um, is it is it related to choking? Mm-mm. So not choking. <laughs> Coop. <laughs> uh, l- not lectins. What are lectins? Those are the. It's like carbohydrates. Uh, it's like a yeah. It is a. It's a carb that's found in like peanuts and. A lot of other things that um is is it food or drink? Uh food. Food. Uh is it animal or vegetable? Yes. What? It's both? Mm-hmm. Is oh that's a good question, Mitchell. Is it a sweet food? Mm, it's hard to answer. Sweet foods are involved. Is it a is it a food that today? Because this was back in 1771. Is it a food that you can find today readily? Just about everything anywhere? that he, yes. Uh, no. Bacterial infection? No. Is it is it at all related to infection or poisoning or or uh, foodborne illness? No, no. But and it's also not related to choking. Correct. Is it related to the preparation of food? No. All right, I'm gonna I'm gonna give it to Ash. Um, they what? Monty Python's uh, skit was actually about this. This king, he is known as the king that ate himself to death. Uh, king he exploded. Adolf king Adolf Frederick, the king of Sweden, ate himself to death in 1771 after having a meal consisting of lobster, caviar, sauerkraut, cabbage soup, smoked herring, champagne, and 14 servings of his favorite dessert called Selma, a bread that is dipped in a bowl of hot milk. And he exploded. He actually like ruptured. He ruptured internally. Yes. 
Oh, yes. it's wafer thin. Would you like a wafer thin mint? <laughs> oh my god! So and the Monty Python skip is actually yeah. based on that. Correct. Better get a bucket. <laughs> <laughs> I possibly could eat another bucket. Oh my god! That's I didn't. I had no idea that was a real. I didn't either. A, a real thing. I didn't. What was his name again? King the Adolf Frederick. King Adolf Frederick in 1771 ate himself to death. Yep. Oh. And it's just a coincidence. I'm on the show today, right? That's right. <laughs> I was like, set up for me. <laughs> Dave, no, let's do a big fat guy thing. Uh, no. <laughs> I can I can relate. I can All right. I can relate. <laughs> so that's so there how is how often a, does this happen how often does this happen yeah I mean, you know i possibly eat yourself to death it, yeah it has to have happened some other time but he was notable because he was a king you know he was famous yeah and so the reference that i get most of my stuff from either um, directly links to a CDC or WHO uh, statistic. So there is an annual, and I didn't, I didn't check the link to see what the the global statistic on this is, but it has one. So, so there's a. Uh, this is one of the numero de los muertos where's the, where there's a moral to the story. <laughs> And that is pace yourself, people. That's Take, right. When you feel full, stop eating. Take a break. Yeah, you don't go have ha to dunk your, your bread in the milk. Go, go fourteen times. Go. <laughs> it's Take a it's, walk away from the dinner table and go go have a fine cigar. Yeah. You ever see the hot dogs guys? They dunk their bread in the water, oh. not milk. Oh. Mm-hmm. Oh. And they haven't killed themselves because that's. Most like, of them are. Ooh, most I of them are know. actually pretty fit. Those those eating champions. Yeah, they really are. The they're champions. They're pretty fit. Are yeah. I don't get that. I don't understand that Kobayashi guy. There's got to be some purging going on later, after those two. Oh yeah, you think? Have you seen that? <laughs> oh yeah. Well, have you seen that tiny little Asian girl on TikTok yeah. and YouTube? Yeah. She destroyed like meals that look like way more than she does. I don't understand these people. But that gives me an idea for another numero de los muertos in the future. Okay. Well, we'll keep our we'll keep our eyes open for that. Absolutely. Yeah. So that was this week's numero, numero de, de los, los muertos. muertos. All right. So now let's jump into the lightning round. The lightning round always on How About That Cigar Live brought to us by our friends at J.C. Newman Cigar Company. They are America's oldest family owned premium cigar maker, creators of the popular Brick House, Perla Del Mar, Diamond Crown and the American. J.C. Newman Cigar Company operates out of their 112 year old El Relo Cigar Factory in historic Cigar City, Tampa, Florida. For more information on their cigars or their visitor experience, please visit jcnewman.com. So, Dave, the last time we had you on the show, we had some early lightning round questions, but we got some fresh ones for you. So, all right. When you were a kid or a teenager, who was a celebrity that you had a big crush on? Queen Elizabeth. Uh, can I go with Betty Rubble or does it have to be <laughs> yes! a living person? 
I love that. Oh, that is such a great okay. answer. I actually love that. Oh. All right. Betty Rubble, I'll go with. Um, the Two Guys Smoke Shop. Do I have the logo here? I do. Yeah. Um, that cartoon that's there. Yeah. That is the Flint. That is the Flintstones. It was a. There was a uh, magazine out called Flintstone Vice, and they were like the Miami Vice, but they were the Flintstones. And I am Bonnie Rubble, and my brother there was Fred Flintstone. So I am Bonnie Rubble because of uh, right next to my heart, Betty, Betty. Rubble. Very nice. She Love was hot, it. right? She was. Oh, she was so hot. I was honestly, yeah. I was a little more partial to Wilma. Were you really? Yeah, because I, I was. I was I'm in the Betty. Yeah, I'm super right into redheads, well, but but they were both. Yeah. yeah, that's that's not creepy at all. No, no, I love it. No, I love not. it. Well, and that's I gotta say that's two cartoons in a row. Because oh, last yeah. week we had Jessica Rabbit. That's right. Oh. Yeah. All right. So, if you were Dave, if you were suddenly a Betty Rubble until Rosie O'Donnell played her. Oh, Coop. Coop, that is a great <laughs> that's a great comment. Betty Rubble until Rosie. I I have to agree I, with I you there. I completely agree. Uh, the cartoon, the cartoon. Yeah, Betty the cartoon. Right. The, the, yes, yes, absolutely. Um, all right, so Dave, if you were suddenly a billionaire, what would be the first extravagant, unnecessary thing you would spend some money on? Uh, you got the private house. jet. Private jet. Okay. The airplane travel is a disaster. I would love yeah. the private jet not to deal with that. Uh, I'm not an extravagant guy. I, I, I'm not. I'm not a billionaire either. But I got money. But I don't have that kind of money for the private jet. And if I did, I would. So that's that is the definite answer. Absolutely. All right, Dave. The zombies are coming. <laughs> You get three draft picks from the cigar industry to be on your zombie apocalypse team. Who three, who do you pick from the cigar industry? Three people. Three people on my team. Zombies are coming. Um, okay, I have Nesta Miranda. Mm. Nesta Miranda is a hunter. He, uh, if you've ever gone to his office, he's got all dead animals. The whole office is full of dead animals. They're hanging on the walls. They're everywhere. He has them all stuffed. He's a big game hunter. Uh, and that's what you need as a hunter. So uh, I know he's up there in age, but he's still young at heart. He'd be okay. He's a good shot. He's got the stuff. He's a major pick. Um, uh, I'd go maybe Nick Perdomo. Nick Perdomo. Uh, I think he's like the smartest guy in the cigar industry. Maybe he can figure a way uh, to get around this or, or where to go. Um, and uh, they're both in Miami, so I could get to both of them quickly. Um, and my my boy, Oliver Nouveau, because uh, he knows how to get out of uh, sticky situations. Uh, crazy things have, have happened to him, and he manages to skate by without uh getting in trouble so i think those three um we got the firepower we got the smarts and if he can and oliver can get us out of uh the sticky situation uh I'd, I'd be no help to any of them so they'd be dragging my ass around saving me so 
I'm no yeah, help. Don't pick me. But you'll bring you'll bring all the cigars. If I get the jet, if I get the private jet, yeah, you there you go. Joke. Yes, love it. Great team. And and and, and Nick may be able to fly it because he was an air traffic controller. Oh, that's right. I don't know if that makes it so he can he can fly a plane. I don't know. I bet he could figure it out. He's smart. Yeah. Yeah. All right, so let's move into this week's Notable Smokable and Notable Smokables on How About That Cigar Live, brought to us by Luciano Cigars. Notable passion, notable cigars, notable purpose. Uh, So, Dave, each week, each of us name a cigar that we smoked recently that was notable to us. Now, it could be a cigar that's been on the market for decades that we just had for the first time in a long time, or it could be something that's brand new to the market that we tried for the first time ever. So what is something, Dave, that you've smoked recently that was notable to you? You know, I'm, I'm digging and I feel so bad for them. Uh, I, I, I think they were like the next big thing was the folks from Adventura. Um, the cigars, they're the ones that had the fire in the factory and it burned down. Yeah. Um, we had them plan to come on the Cigar Authority a couple of weeks ago. And they had to cancel out William Ventura. I've known the guy for a long, long time. He made cigars for me in the early 90s, uh, a couple of different brands. He was with Davidoff before that. And um, uh, his sons took over. And the unfortunate accident of that fire that ended up happening, my God, I I would have bet they were going to be the next big thing. Um, And... um, I just read in, I think it was Halfwell yesterday, that they're rebuilding. They broke ground in, yep, in they just Mochi's broke ground. Uh, area there, which is great to hear. But you're still a couple of years away. Those poor those poor kids, uh, it's a startup again. And uh, But I'll tell you, um, it's happened to Padron. It happened to Fuente. It happened to some of the biggest names uh, yep. that get knocked down and they come back up. So hopefully it's them. Um, they have a cigar... LL, I'm not going to be able to pronounce this. La Llorona. Thank you. That's it. Um, and uh, I thought that's the, the stuff they had at the trade show this year, I thought was great. The stuff that came out uh, um, last year was great. I mean, these guys are really, they were firing on all cylinders. I said, they're going to be the next big thing. And I went to go see them in uh, maybe uh, August. Um, and went and, uh, and, and looked at what, what they had to offer and you know, sat and talked with them for a while, the kids, not the father. And um, they, I felt they were in good hands with the next generation that's there. And then that happens to them. Um, so uh, I, I've been chain smoking their stuff, to be honest with you. Um, who knows when we're going to get it again, and it's good. Yeah. Well, I, I can tell you this. Um, I talked to Henderson the, the day of the fire when it was still burning. And I've talked to him several times since. And the focus and the determination from Henderson and also Marcel and Nicole, who are in Switzerland, um, they are all about building back stronger and better than before. So there is no tail between the legs. There is no um, any of that. The The passion is still there. And um, Good. yeah, so they are um, luckily, as you mentioned, is is. Father William has a factory just up the road from where their factory was. So they're able to tread water right now and they're treading water and, and able to supply majority of the retail partners with, with cigars and uh, breaking ground. So 
Yeah. Um, I agree with you. I think they are one of the companies that are the next real big, yeah, you know, legacy brand. And this may be that story that solidifies that for them, that mm. they came from such adversity and uh, conquered it. So, yeah, I love it. Great pick. Uh, Garrett, what was your notable this week? <clears throat> so I smoked, um, and Dave, I don't know if you've ever heard of this, uh, it's for the European market, but it's a Nicaraguan cigar called Horatio. And um, it was super unique. It is uh, made in Nicaragua in Esteli, and it has some Nicaraguan and uh, Costa Rican tobacco in it. Super unique. Not Hiroshi. Not Hiroshi like Hiroshi. Right. No, not Hiroshi. Horatio. Okay. Yep. Ratio. Never yeah, heard and, of it. And when we looked it up on Google, we could only find it in European shops. Yeah. So uh certainly something not from the American and the you know, even the the little uh where the skew would be, it's all in Euros and uh QR code. Yeah. Um uh, met you find the factory? We couldn't find we couldn't any factory. Find the factory. No. Yeah. But it just says Esteli Nicaragua, so we're not sure what factory even. Yeah. Uh, delicious cigar. So if anybody listening knows anything about that, I would love to know more. Yeah. Um, my notable this week was from 724 cigars. And mm -hmm. honestly, this was only the second, maybe third cigar I've smoked from that brand. Um, and it's called the Hustler Five and Dime. And I actually got this from Kurt Kendall at uh, the trade show. And uh, not the most recent trade show. I think, honestly, I think I might have gotten this at PCA 2021. That's how long I've had this cigar. Um, but it was it was a nice cigar. It was really powerful. Uh, had some strength to it. Really full flavored. It, it was a. It was one of those cigars that almost seems like it's got meatiness to it. It's had a really rich, thick, heavy texture to the smoke and really that was a bold bold cigar so nice blend i enjoyed that one real quick yeah, you, 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 go ahead, you didn't go ahead. uh you didn't miss you didn't miss much of that brand because that brand took two years to come out after he introduced it at the show for whatever was going on with um uh, that's jesus fuego that makes that mm. cigar from the five and dime uh he, he's right up the street not even 10 miles from here uh, okay. Is is there and um, uh, great cigar, by the way. And um, it was just uh, COVID, you know, all, all yeah. kinds mm -hmm. of packaging problems and the bands and the in the boxes and all that stuff. So the cigar is actually good. You have that cigar and, and you, you age it for a year and a half. But the good news is they're all aged a year and a half <laughs> because they were all sitting there waiting for packaging. So the cigar is excellent, by the way. Yes. Yeah, and I don't want to turn this into a long rabbit hole at all. I know we're ending our show, but Dave, are you going to TPE? And also, what are your opinions on TPE as becoming um, almost a contender as the cigar trade show? Ah, uh, well, I, I wouldn't say that, but I do go, uh, and uh, I will go this year again. And it's it's a great time of year that um, it's January, February. And here we are in the in the cold uh, winter yep. up here, so it's great to, great to get away. It's great to find a new product to bring in for 
springtime and when the season i'm receiving product now from the trade show from the pca mm -hmm. trade show and here we are at the slowdown of the season and then a new product comes in which is terrible that one makes sense um but um you know they don't they don't come out really packing with a lot of new product although it was pretty good and uh you can get you can get through it in a day and a half or so and see everybody and um uh, I wouldn't miss it. I, I, I go to it, and uh, I don't think it's because it's um, competing in that market with the vape and the uh, domestic cigars and the um, hookah and uh, everything else that goes along with uh, all that tobacco. Um, it, it, uh, it will not be the premium cigar industry's uh, trade show. Uh, there's no way. I don't, I don't think they're even trying to be. Yeah. Um, so, oh, that was this week's, uh, notable smokable. Oh, <laughs> no, that's okay. Uh, brought to us by Luciano cigars, improving lives through fine cigars. Visit Luciano cigars.com to learn more. Uh, so we have some coming attractions to let you guys know about on upcoming episodes. And those are brought to us by our friends at AJ Fernandez, Born and raised in Cuba, A.J. Fernandez now produces unparalleled premium cigars in Esteli, Nicaragua. The A.J. Fernandez portfolio of cigars provides blend strength and flavor profiles to match the preferences of any premium cigar consumer, whether it's New World, Dias de Gloria, San Lotano, Enclave, or Bayas Artes, you are sure to be satisfied with a premium cigar from A.J. Fernandez. So... Coming up right away next Monday night on the 21st, we have none other than John Carney from LFD Cigars making another appearance on How About That Cigar Live. Then on the 28th of November, we have Tim Osgener from Osgener Family Cigars. On uh, December 5th, we have Juan Lugo from Don Doroteo Cigars, a new up-and-coming cigar brand with a lot of great history behind it. And... On the 12th, this is a big one. On the 12th, live here in Minnesota with us, Cigar Coop. William Cooper Woo! is going to be on the show. So he's uh, he's going to be visiting Minnesota, and uh, we'll, we're so excited to have him actually live here in in, in the cold, frozen, frozen tundra. So uh, looking forward to that. Uh, Dave, if you would please give our viewers and listeners an idea where is the best place for them to keep up with everything you have going on from Two Guys to Cigar Authority and everything else in between. Uh, two Guys, it was twoguyscigars.com, the Cigar Authority, the cigarauthority.com. Uh, you, you're best to uh, get the podcast and listen to it, or else you're going to keep looking at this. And nobody wants to do that, not even uh, Betty Rubble, right? <laughs> we'll keep we'll keep looking at betty rubble yes <laughs> the real betty rubble yes the, right? real. the original the original one the og well yeah. dave thank you so much for being back on how about that cigar live brother we are we're we're so Thanks grateful to be able to learn from you and to uh you know, get some get some great history about the cigar mm -hmm. business and get some insight from you. Uh, we get a lot from it. We hope our viewers and listeners do as well. So thank yep. you. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Well, for all our viewers and listeners, guys, thank you so much for watching live on Facebook, live on YouTube, and for listening after the fact on the audio podcast. We're so grateful to you guys. You are the best part of How About That Cigar Live. If you have questions for us, be sure to email us on the website, howaboutthatcigar.com. 
Make sure to follow us on all social media at HBT Cigar. And of course, until we see you guys next time, burn cigars, not bridges. See you guys. Thank you. Any comments, opinions, viewpoints, or statements presented or uttered by guests on the HBTC podcast, HBTC live video streams, and all other media from HBT Media LLC are solely those of the individual and do not necessarily represent the opinions or viewpoints of How About That Cigar or its parent company, HBT Media LLC, any of our advertising partners, or the premium cigar industry. The primary purpose of How About That Cigar is to entertain and to encourage activity and growth within the community of people who enjoy or want to learn about the enjoyment of premium premium cigars.